Hey, welcome to the Carl Landry Record Club, a music podcast from the right Ricky Sanchez. Our theme music that you heard leading in is from uh, Marion Hill. It's I Should Let You Know. Moot, that song is unreleased. Nice, man. That's a killer track, too, yeah. man. That's uh yeah, we got the exclusive, man. We do. I, uh, I'm Spike. That's Mootlu. We, uh, we've, we've had a few emails and then a couple of tweets asking where they could find that song, and I'm like, can't fucking find here. it anywhere. Carl right Landry here. Record Club, yeah. baby. That's Yo, where you hear it. You hear 12, <laughs> 12 seconds of it looped? Just fucking yeah. record it. Loop it for 20 <laughs> times. There you Play go. it like 10 times in a row. Yeah. You know? Exclusive. An full exclusive. Version. Full yeah, exclusive. Exclusive. Uh, exclusive that's you, a good hoagie mouth word yeah it said do it again exclusive yeah there's <laughs> it really it has it has good meaty good uh, hoagie meatiness to it well it's got the x and the c right next to each other yeah which, it's got like capicola ham yeah <laughs> it's got all the good meats it uh it really it really gets the phlegm up you know exclusive yeah <laughs> Certain words are so magical. Yeah, know? like uh, like uh, wait, what's the one that you used uh, on with John and Ike? There was one of them. Uh, oh it, man, it wasn't moment. The the moment's a good word. Oh, I know what it is. Emotion. Emotion. E m o t i o n. Emotion. <laughs> if uh, we're gonna talk about three records today, if you want to uh, suggest. A record for the Carl Landry Record Club. Leave it in the Apple Podcast reviews. Leave us a five star rating and leave your record in the Apple Podcast reviews. If you don't use Apple, that's fine. I support that. You can go to uh, carlandryrecordclub.com and you could submit your, just go to the contact part and you can submit your, your record there. Um, since this, you know, I was going to say that our best of 2020 music lists are on the website, but this, we're recording the second week of December. This probably <laughs> won't be out until January, January, but, but we'll leave them up there anyway. We have a, a bunch of Spotify best of 2020 music playlists on, on our carlandryrecordclub.com. I did one, Moot did one, uh, AU from Rights to Ricky did one. Our friend Jason Lipschitz from Billboard did one. And then we have a bunch of listener ones up there too. So if yeah, you're looking for new was, music, you know. I was combing through, man, and uh, some really, some stuff I hadn't heard, kind of like it's another way to get turned on to tracks uh, that mm -hmm. you, you maybe haven't um, had a chance to check out. And uh, you know what I like about it is you can kind of, you can be longer with it. Like you and AU, you guys did longer lists. I know I did a shorter one. Yeah. I saw some of the listeners. One person just did four. It's like whatever uh, – Whatever you feel, you know, whatever yeah. you feel like the songs that really moved you. Whatever you loved, as long as it was 90 minutes or less. And, I, you know, going through all of them, because I, I took them from the email to, to make the Spotify list, I would say that the, the one uh, artist, the one band and artist that made the most lists was, I don't know if you know the record, but Phoebe Bridgers put out uh, an album this year called Punisher. And that... Like that was probably on half. It was on mine, but it was on probably on half the list. Yeah, and I saw one or two folks put just put the whole album. Yes. I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, I still haven't uh, delved in. I need to. Uh, I need to do that. I need it's, to. I've been hearing her name constantly, but yeah, it's really so much good. music out there. But yeah, I'm 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 intrigued to uh, to check it out. Yeah, and we're but there's so much new stuff out there. We're busy talking about records from uh, we're learning <laughs> stuff from 20 years ago. So, 
Uh, all right. So what we do is uh, the the goal of the pod, if you're new to it, is to I pick one of my favorite albums for Moot to listen to. He picks one for me to listen to, and we pick one for you to listen to. And then we sort of give the background on the album and tell you what we thought. So, you know, I was nervous. I, I, let's start with mine. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I was sort of nervous, not nervous giving you this one, but I knew the previous albums that I gave you, you as a musician would appreciate the, they're all pretty tight, poppy, even the silver show I wouldn't call poppy, but all, all like you hear the hook, you know, like everything is, is, is all pretty straightforward, glossy. This, the album that I picked for this one is different. So I, uh, I eagerly await your your reaction to it so the album that i picked is brand news 2006 album the devil and god are raging inside of me now i will say this at the top because every time i talk about brand new somebody says to me well why don't you bring up the thing about jesse lacy so very quickly a few years ago jesse lacy was accused of and admitted to like i, I don't want to get into it i think he was like sex chatting with girls that were like 17 years oh, old. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize there yeah. was a uh, scandal around. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. And he he admitted to it. He said he had a like a sex addiction problem. He said he went to therapy. He said he's talked about it with his wife. He said like none of that makes it okay. I, I guess what I would say is I don't know. It's a funny thing, man. It, it doesn't make me not like the album anymore. Maybe it does for some people, which is fine, you know, when somebody does something bad. But I, I guess... I just, it's never affected me that way. You know, like I, I grew up listening to 80s music and Vince Neil killed a guy drunk driving. Uh, Tommy Lee beat up his wife, you know, Axl Rose. Yeah. Like there was so much shitty stuff going on that I guess I learned to, and even, you know, you turn on the radio, you hear Michael Jackson or you hear right, Jerry right. Lee Lewis. And not that any of it is okay. I just have always been able to separate it. I don't know. Right. That's a, that's a tough thing when artists whose work you admire, that could be music or film, mm -hmm. could be athletes, you know? Yeah. Um, what is, it's always tough to navigate can you, should you separate the work from the person? Mm -hmm. um, which is part of like with movie stars, for example, like I don't want to know all about their personal life. You know, but some of these people that whose work we admire or even athletes we look, looked up to, they do horrible, despicable things. And so it, how do you separate that? I, I always find that to be a challenging, uh, a challenging sort of conversation to have or to try to find some some guidelines, can you, is is it appropriate to separate things? Or in this this day and age, in the Me Too movement, in this time where we're society's evolving towards you know greater uh, awareness and equality, like should we be discussing those things? And where do you draw the line? You know? Yeah. I so for me, it's always been I'm I'm happy to be aware. I wouldn't say it doesn't matter to me. And I'll tell you another thing: being 44 years old. What this twenty, what what Jesse Lacey did when he was twenty five, like I don't look up to Jesse Lacey, like he's like he's a singer. Now when right. I was when I was twenty, and or if I was sixteen, and I looked up to somebody like that, it would be now if there was somebody that I really really admired personally, uh, mm -hmm. as as an artist or as an athlete, that would be right. crushing to me. The older I get, the more I separate what that is. And the other thing is, we know so little about all of them. Right. That, that right. 
it's almost like the default is, oh, I think they're fine. Or you build them up to be much better than any normal person is. And then whatever you know about them defines them. So like, I don't know anything about Jesse Lacey, the singer for Brand New, except for his music. And now I know this other thing. So while it was a horrible thing, should that define, he's in his 40s. Should this, these things that he did when he was in a rock band, when he was in his 20s, should they define him for the rest of his life if he recognized them as bad and changed them? It doesn't erase them, but should it define him? That's the other thing. It's like, I don't, I don't yeah. know where to put it, you know? It's also a symptom of this need that we have to put people, great singers, movie stars, athletes on some kind of pedestal. Yeah. These are some of the most damaged, sometimes horrible people. Yeah. You know, uh, I'll give an example, like David O. Russell, great, great mm -hmm. filmmaker. I mean, I've loved pretty much every movie he's made, but by all accounts, a pretty horrible human being. Right, right. Just when you hear, you know, the the people who've worked with him, the things he's done, it's it's a tough one, man, because I think, I think social media amplifies these conversations and you do attach the person's personal life and the, and the terrible things they may do. But it's always the question of can does it does it then make it wrong to appreciate the work? Like knowing things about the terrible things David O. Russell has done, does that mean you should also cancel ever watching his a movie of his? Where right. there are other people involved, and even with a band, there are other people involved in you know a record, and mm -hmm. you know it's it's a it's a it's a it's a tough thing. There's no clear conversation or answer to have around it. And it's it's something to me, I don't know that it's everything, but it's something to me that somebody goes, yes, that was me. I did that. It was wrong. I changed this about myself. Here's where right. I am as a person. Dude, if everything that I did, I've never done anything like that, but if, if I, everything I did was, if you only knew four things about me and two of them were two of the things I did when I was a teenager or in right, my 20s. Right. You know, I shoplifted a lot of stuff. Like, like <laughs> I don't, you know, anyway. Yeah, so, well, and, and it's like, maybe that's the thing. Maybe it has to be, if the maybe there's redemption to be had if people handle it the right way and use right. it as a way to teach others or to educate others or to be honest about what they did and actually turn it into something that can help uh, maybe stop people that admire them from doing it or think twice yeah. about those things. That's really, I think that's where the redemption lies. You mm -hmm. know, if someone does the right thing, learns from it, um, you know, and actually maybe can help uplift the situation from a societal standpoint. I think mm -hmm. normally that's how people are redeemed, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, if you just look at, look, take something mostly innocuous, PEDs, right? Like how athletes, I just wanted to, I want to pick something mostly unserious, even though a lot right, of people take right. that as serious. The the athletes who got caught with PEDs, who take Andy Pettit, for example, mm -hmm. who said, this is what I did, had a press conference, owned up to it, moved on. Everybody pretty much forgot about it. It's right. just the ones that denied it and pushed mm -hmm. it uh, are the ones that I think that that history does not look nearly as favorable uh, as favorable upon whether it's Barry Bonds or Roger Clemens or uh, whoever it is. It's it's the the people who admit what they've done, uh, be and and are honest about the apology. And I think I think people look at them differently for sure because that makes them human. Mm -hmm. For to see someone that you admire, that maybe the media or whatever, just our show business or 
sports business has put up on this pedestal. But then for them to show that they admit that they made a mistake, show that they're human, that's actually how they're redeemed or that maybe people can empathize with that. It's okay. Someone comes down and says, I made a horrible mistake. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to be better. And they actually live that as opposed to when the moment there's an arrogance in covering something like that up. Like you said, Barry Bonds, it's like, because in a way the message that sends to people is like, I shouldn't be held accountable for my actions because of who I am. That's always right. the, that's the line I think people subconsciously, yeah. you know, think of. So I don't mean to taint the beginning of the album. I just, I, I, <laughs> <That was> just, <laughs> I, I, I don't even know what to do. I, every time I've, I've, so this happened in, I think 2017 is when their last record came out and they toured. And then the internet's weird too. It, it, like it, it came out in a very strange way. He put out a statement and then they haven't toured since. So I was uh, going to ask you that question because at least from what I saw, they're not a band anymore, right? They really they playing. are that that's sort of their vibe. I'll I'll get to that. Like okay, they, they, they will. So so anyway, so I'll start from the beginning. Uh, All right, <laughs> Devil and God, <laughs> Devil and God is our uh, raging Asylum comes out in twenty oh six. from Long Island. Uh, Jesse Lacey actually used to be in in the late, late, late 90s in a very early iteration of Taking Back Sunday, an enormous uh, emo band, if you don't know them. So, uh, so they're from Long Island. Band starts in uh, 2000 and uh, comes out uh, with Your Favorite Weapon, which is a, in the pop punk slash emo it's a weird line where emo starts and pop punk pop punk begins brand new is, is dead in the center of it in the canon of those bands their first two albums uh, your favorite weapon in 2001 and deja Antandu, which is certainly a more grown-up album but certainly in that vein are in the the all-time greats so they come out as this Emo, I would say, is a combination between Taking Back Sunday is an interesting comparison. In, Taking Back Sunday, Thursday, Sunny Day Real Estate, uh, those sorts of bands. So they're big that way. And then after Deja Antandu, they sort of go away. And I'm not even really aware of them in any real way of those first two albums. Deja Antandu had their biggest hit. Um, the quiet things that no one knows, which you might recognize. I was sort of aware of that song, but that's it. So in 06, this album comes out and I'm working in Chicago. And one of the guys that works for me, this guy, Ryan Mano, tells me we get the single. And I think the single was, was Yeah, was Sewing Season. Turn it into something you would miss if somebody threw that brick, shut all your plans. Yeah! 
didn't like it. And he's like, you should listen to the album again. And I was like, I don't want to. And he's like, listen to it. <laughs> and over the next few weeks, I listened to it three, four, five times. And it hit me. Something about it hit me. And the interesting thing about this album, and I talk about this with bands a lot, is sometimes bands have this album in the middle of their career where it's like their pivot point, but they still have, they still have some of what they were and they're showing some of what they will be. And if you were to listen to this album, I think, Devil and God are, are raging inside of me, and say that this band used to be a pop punk band, you would be pretty surprised. It's not in there, I, I don't think. Though this is their pivot album. So it is sort of a brooding, dark, obviously, when I say angry, not angry in the way metal is, uh, sort of like desperately angry, like, uh, it, it, it's like a painful sounding album. And to me, it sounds like people that grew up listening to Nirvana, maybe uh, U2, like th that, that is where it comes from, from Radiohead, I, I hear in there too. And it's right around this time that the band's fan base starts to pivot and they become sort of a cult following, but large cult following band. And they take so much time in between albums, like, Devil and God, God Raging Inside of Me comes out in 06. I think Daisy came out in 2011 or 2012. Oh, wow. uh, and then Science Fiction, which is an incredible album, comes out in 2016 or 2017, I think. They become this huge live attraction because they don't tour very often. Uh, I It was a combination of listening to that album and then when I was out there in Chicago, I saw them play the show at the House of Blues, which I think is pretty well known for brand new fans because Jesse was incredibly sick. They decided to do the show anyway. I think they canceled the rest of the tour after that show. I like this album uh, because it has that I like, uh, you know, in the, in the previous episodes of this podcast, I've talked about the poppier and glossier things that I like. In movies and music, I also like things that are painful because uh, I think that pain and sort of that agony and anger are things that come out really clearly in movies and come out in, uh, in music. And when I was younger, that's what I went to like metal for. I remember when I would go see a corn concert, it was that sort of angst that was built mm -hmm. up inside of me that would speak to me. Uh, and I think this album from front to back is just like almost perfect. So the songs that I like best, Sewing Season, which is, yeah, is the, the first song on the record. The fact that the hook is basically one word um, and the screams that he has are very Kurt Cobain-esque in that they're oh, not, yeah. they're not perfect. Right. Like, right. Like he, he'll, they'll crack and he'll scream like a little off key and they'll feel like they were recorded live. And there's a song called Jesus Christ, which is mm -hmm. an, another fa favorite one of mine. A pretty face. Can you find someone that could save if they don't put me away? Well, it'll be a it's it's interesting 
I don't really know what he's talking about most of the time. A lot of the <laughs> lyrics are pretty out there, but there are very Cobain-like lyrics, I think, in Jesus Christ. Um, there's a line that goes, I know you'll come for the people like me, but we've all got wood and nails tongue-tied to a hate factory, which just like the 90s-ness of that, uh, I love. <laughs> and then there's a the two other songs I really love are Handcuffs, which is very quiet toward the end of the record. Also sort of a desperate song. And then there's a song called Archers, which is probably the most up-tempo song in the album. And I think um, I think you could say maybe it doesn't fit. It sounds like a song that would be on science fiction, but the, the album, I think, goes up and down that way, tempo-wise, and Archers is the fastest one. I think that's a great song, too. So um, that's a lot. I think I feel like I was scattered on that, uh, but that no. that is the record. Now, I gave a good picture of it, and I, I think some of you said initially that I keyed on immediately was that it didn't really, I guess I had in my mind they were a pop punk band, mm -hmm. um, but they're, they are way beyond that, or this record is way beyond that. Uh, stylistically, um, they're not even close to being in those confines. You know, you know I found myself thinking uh, at times of the Stone Roses. Oh, yeah. Um, because... They do they do something uh, on on a number of songs in this record. They do it on Millstone, Jesus Christ. It's kind of like this vocal round thing at the end of the song. Will where there'll be like a sustained note, and then he'll have another phrase mm -hmm. uh, going over. I think of that as a like vocal round, like vocal layering. Okay, that's something that Stone Roses did a lot of, and there's a lot of melody in the guitars, mm -hmm. like a lot of very melodic guitar lines. Um, that component is also, I don't know, Stone Rose maybe seems like a bizarre comparison. I guess it's more of a musical uh, level, but um, I, I really like this album. It took me, uh, I think maybe the second time through, I started to get it more. Because you're right, I, ha I had a hard time at points really grasping. Like you can feel the emotion in what he's doing. You can't always catch the lyric yep. uh, right away. But they also have the kind of Pixies like a uh, quiet, loud thing. Yeah. Where yeah. it'll be so sparse and quiet. And even the record sounds quieter. Like the first track is uh is kind of like that. Is it sewing season? Yeah. It's really quiet when the record comes in. Yep. And then boom, it comes with the thunder like and it's a build. They they do it dynamically. It doesn't feel uh like it's contrived. It feels like there's something in the song that warrants that big kind of payoff. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I like the dynamic within their songs. And then they had a tune that was just like an instrumental midway through. Yeah. Uh, Welcome to Bangkok. I like when a record kind of veers off for a second at just some other sonic experiment. Well, we, we talked to John Ross from Wild Pink about songs going into other songs and, and the, like the 
a complete album, which this definitely feels like. You absolutely, know? absolutely. Uh, you can't put middle instrumental tracks in a rock album and not have it have be within context of other things, right? right? It right, makes a lot right. more sense. And that Pixies thing, the Quiet Loud thing, which was, by the way, another thing that uh, that that Nirvana ended up doing pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. The the beginning is it's interesting. You're talking about the beginning of of sewing season. It almost sounds like his voice and the guitar both doing like have the same effect to it. It's almost like his voice is palm muted or something. Mm-hmm. Like he like he's you can hear him looking down. You know, like I it it definitely is. The beginning is super quiet and the chorus is very loud. Both. <laughs> when he goes to that scream, it's yeah. like that I, I do I do love that kind of arc in a song where yeah. in a I don't know, a three or four minute song, there's that type of journey. For that to work, that you can do that from a production standpoint, but it can feel very contrived. Mm-hmm. It never feels that way because you could just tell this guy is hurting. There's just so much angst that comes through. And I think actually the reason I like a record like this, even though, again, just like that's the great thing about this pod is like I'm listening to music I never would have gravitated towards. But what I like about this is kind of in a weird way, even though it's stylistically totally different, the same thing I love about R&B and soul music is that the emotion is unabashed. Oh, yeah. it's, It's there. There's nothing veiled. There's nothing concealed. E M O T I O N emotion emotion and emotion yeah. and it's there and uh, uh, you know th- that's easier to do live. I mean, maybe I'm speaking from my own standpoint. It's one thing when you have an audience and you feed off that energy, and it becomes like a dialogue, and you feed off that energy and you really cut loose. Mm-hmm. To cut loose like this with that type of vulnerability in the studio is difficult because you're in a sterile environment. So you got to be digging deep into something internal that it sounds to me like he was suffering through something here. Something was eating at him. I also thought that this album, I always thought of them as much younger than me. And maybe it's because of who liked them and, and the genre that they were, you know, it was, it was teenagers and whatever. There was something about this album that made me look up. I'm like, how old are these guys? I'm like, oh, same age as me, you know, which which makes the influences as somebody who grew up listening to the actually when, when you go back to the pop punk records, there are riffs that sound like late 80s rock riffs that sound like almost hair bandish riffs. And then you hear this and you're like, oh, this guy listened to grunge music. Like there's no way he didn't, you know, all those bands that I mentioned, Nirvana and U2 and Radiohead and all those things, like, mm-hmm. you know, it was definitely an influence there. Um, yeah, I, I love this album so much. I think Science Fiction, which is their last album, as far as the songs is probably their most complete, most polished the songs are the best, but I, this album will always catch me as the one that I like best because it was what made me like them. And like you said, the the raw emotion. And they, I think they're responsible for three of the best concerts I've ever seen. They did, bef- man, I'm trying to remember when it was. It was probably, tw- what's it, 2020 now? Maybe 2015 they did, maybe even 2014, 
They did two shows. At the time, they had four albums. Your Favorite Weapon, Deja Entendu, Devil and God, and Daisy. And mm. they were going to do two albums in Long Island and two albums at the Starland Ballroom or the Starlight Ballroom. In uh, Sayersville, New Jersey? Yes. Is that Starlight? Yeah. Star- yep. Yeah. Starland, so, I think. Starland. Star so I saw, I drove to the Long Island shows and they didn't say which shows they were doing which albums. Ah. Uh, so I get tickets to both. I ask for a favor for one. I get the other ones on the website, sell out right away. And they decide to do Devil and God and Daisy in Long Island. But they didn't even say which show, which albums they were doing. So they do Devil and God, and then everybody's expecting one of the pop punk records that they're going to mix it up. They go right into Daisy, which is definitely their most like angriest, most experimental record. I would say like 50 people walked out. Oh, really? It was one of the best shows I ever saw. Uh, I don't know if it was the next night or two nights later, I saw the, the first two albums at Starland, which was incredible. And then the last time they played here was the Tower on the Science Fiction Tour, which was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Really just incredible. So and hope they what's come the back dynamic, What's the dynamic live? Is it the same? Do you, this, do you feel that same sort of build like uh, within the tunes that you hear on the record or? A hundred percent. I would say that the difference with Science Fiction is that Science Fiction, they went for more of a, they played behind like, they were at the tower and they had like lights. I'm trying to describe like strings hanging down from the ceiling, but with lights on them. So they were sort of playing behind that and in front of a screen that had them on it. It was definitely more rock starry than, Hmm. uh, and I think that album is less angsty than these are, than this is. So I thought it fit it best, but Hmm. great shows, great shows. Um, cool. Really I'm glad really, you liked it. Yeah, really cool album, man. I, to me, it always comes back to the songs, and there's some really, really well written songs on here. So that's what I'm finding. It's like that's always the thread. Yeah. No matter Good what songs. the record. Yep. That's it, man. If if there's something special in the songwriting, which there is, that that'll that'll always transcend whether or not it's something I would stylistically gravitate to. Yeah. Um, you want to do yours? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do it. Remy Shand, The Way I Feel. I know what it takes to make it right for you. It's the way I feel. 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 I love this album. I remember listening to it on repeat when it came out. Um, but uh, give a little little background on Remy Shand. He was born Remington Shand. Ooh. Yeah, Remington. Not to be confused with Remington Steel. That's yeah. something else entirely. Remington sounds like a, a name that you're naming a kid if you expect <laughs> him to be like an asshole or are they rich or a Remington is a pretentious kind of thing to name a kid it is a it yeah i don't i don't know if i ever knew a remington no uh, I'm, i don't think i've ever met one yeah i just think i of remember remington the show remington steel, steel. Yeah, yeah remington steel <laughs> i picture bruce i picture pierce brosnan when i think of that name yeah but, uh, any, 
Anyone who's younger listening to this, just Google Remington Steel. Like, That's like, what the, like what the, they probably think, what the hell's wrong with these dudes? Remington Steel. Well, I mean, Remington Steel had to be like 83, right? Or something That like, was 80s, yeah. yeah I think I yeah. remember watching reruns maybe in yep. the early 90s. Yeah. Like, what was the other sh- What was the show, oh, man, about the husband and wife? They weren't hit men. What, were th- what was that fucking show? The Scarecrow and Mrs. King? No, but that's another one. <laughs> now we're getting really well. All the shows that I was just—I I was just old enough to remember, but too young to really have taken in the show. I'll remember it. Go ahead. I'll—I'll I'll, I'll remember it. <laughs> Remington. Well, anyway, it's clear he's shortened his name to Remy, which I okay. think uh, is a smoother flow to it. Gives it, evokes a different vibe. Yeah, he was born sure. uh, Remington Shand. Uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, in Canada, um, and he he got exposed to soul music early on. I mean, from the sound of it, he seems like he was something of a musical prodigy, although self-taught. Um, but his parents exposed him to like R and B and soul music at a young age. Actually, interesting story: his father worked in construction, and uh, they at one point he and his team were remodeling a club, and he salvaged this huge crate of records that had all these classic. R&B soul albums in them. That's just interesting how sometimes one random event like that yeah. can shape someone. Because when you listen to his music, he is really absorbed classic R&B soul music in a deep way. And it comes through in the record. I'll get that in a second. But, uh, you know, he also was into jazz at a young age. And if you've seen some of his more recent clips, he definitely has the jazz chops and an affinity for that sound. But maybe even comes through a little bit on the way I feel. But uh, but he started working for the songs. He started creating the songs that would become the way I feel when he was like 19 years old. And one thing to keep in mind with this album is that it's all him. He wrote everything. Oh, really? He produced all the everything. He played everything. Wow. It's a one man's vision uh, type of record. I mean, he's that's kind of even when you check him out now, he's a multi-instrumentalist. He plays everything. And I think that's interesting with this album that it was like his creative vision. He did eventually release it through Universal and Motown, but it wasn't the kind of thing where there were like, you know, he got signed and there were like producers coming in and A&R people sort of affecting the sound, which happens all the time, especially with this kind of R&B soul music. You know, sometimes there there can be a lot of cooks in the kitchen. No, this was his creative vision and he controlled the top to bottom. Actually, there's a quote uh, there was a Billboard article at the time of The Way I Feel came out, and he kind of talked about that. Um, this is a quote from that article. It said, uh, I'll always be grounded because I was right there through the making of it. There were no politics during the making of it. And that's that, that's a big thing because, especially in the major label world, that's so rare uh, to hear yeah. something like that. You could hear one thing that maybe he had some cool demos and they want to bring in this producer or have him co-write with this person, but no. Nah. This was his vision from top to bottom. Another interesting thing is that he wasn't someone who necessarily set out to be a uh, an artist. He really wanted to be more behind the scenes as a producer, multi-instrumentalist. There's another quote from that same Billboard article. Uh, he says, I wanted to be a producer first, but coming from Winnipeg, I couldn't find anyone to sing my songs who was into soul music. So I put my best foot forward, grabbed my Earth, Wind & Fire record and said, that's my range. I could do the falsetto like Philip Bailey, so I began studying the vocal stuff just like I studied the bass guitar and everything else. Huh. He's you know, a true student, musical you, stu- R&B student, you know? I, I, I don't know if I've, I've said this before, but it, it is interesting how 
singing, when people are getting together for a band, the guitar player has always practiced guitar, has understood right. that he's had to practice and learn where the notes are and all that kind of shit. The same with the bass player, same with the keyboard player, same with the drummer. For some reason, the singer is always like, all right, yeah, I'll sing. Yeah, I'll uh, do it. <laughs> yeah, and there are some trained singers, obviously, but most of the people that start bands, the singer has not, like is just sort of learning as they're doing it as opposed to treating it like an instrument. You know what I mean? And figuring right. out what your range is and, hey, what's that note and what's that note? They don't, when people start, I don't think they think about that with voice. Yeah, and we got into that with um, <clears throat> with Life Without Buildings because yeah. oh, she yeah, was yeah. such an atypical singer. Yep. And there are other bands like that uh, where, yeah, like the singer evolves in time. Mm -hmm. They sort of, but you, you're right. You can't have a guy who can't play the chords or can't play the beats right. on the guitar. You, would, and the, <laughs> you kick them right out, right? You know, It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work, but a singer can evolve into it. Now, I think it's interesting. You normally hear about that kind of dynamic with a rock band, but here's a guy who had been honing in his musical skills and his production skills, and he got to singing more out of default because he wasn't necessarily in the kind of environment where he could just have access to all these great R&B soul singers that he would maybe want to hire or collaborate with. But it's interesting when you hear him on the record because he really does have this great falsetto um, and he stays in that range and it's yeah. he's good in his mid-range too, but it's interesting to hear that he kind of approached his his vocal styling in the same way as, okay, he learned the bass and he, he clearly absorbed all that Earth, Wind & Fire and Stevie stuff. And he did the same thing with, with, uh, with his vocal technique but it's interesting. This story, this record is interesting because it came out. It was released on in Canada in two thousand one. Went to number one on Canadian album charts. Released here in uh, through Motown in the states on in March of two thousand two. Went up to number thirty nine on Billboard. I mean, he toured behind this record. He got four Grammy nominations. He won uh, best. He was nominated for best R and B album. He didn't win anything, but he's nominated for best R and B album. The song Take a Message was nominated for Best R&B Song and Best Male R&B Vocal Performance. Rocksteady was nominated for Best Traditional R&B Vocal Performance. I mean, he he made an impact. It maybe wasn't a huge smash. I don't think he had any like huge hit singles, but it won a claim, and he gained a lot of respect in the R&B world. I remember listening to this record and be like, man, this is just so good. And then it's one of those things. He just never followed up with another so, record. So this is it? This is it. Now, in recent years, he's come back on his own, self-released, He's released some singles and some EPs, very low key. Huh. You know, you'll find it on the streaming service and Bandcamp. He's released a number of instrumental tracks. And when you hear those tunes, the musicianship is there. It's undeniable. But he's never had another uh, big release. And I kind of went down the rabbit hole online trying to figure out, like, like, what happened to this guy? Like, how is it that a guy who made such a great album, who really got a lot of recognition for it and actually did sell some records, mm -hmm. how does he just disappear kind of like how come there's you would think there would at least be a follow-up and i went I, I couldn't really find anything there's not the information kind of hazy i went on i found one online group where someone was saying and i don't know if i can't really verify this is true or not it's really hard to say it was all conjecture 
but someone on there said um, that he had made another record and it was one of those things that just got shelved and never came out. You know, it, in all likelihood, it was probably that thing we've discussed before. We discussed it on the very first episode, that tug of war between art and commerce and corporations controlling music and when labels merge and people get fired and the unfortunate downside is sometimes some very talented people get kind of cast aside and you know that's kind of disheartening to me and especially with a guy like this who who can play every instrument who can write songs like this uh who's a really excellent singer it's cool to see that he finally you know there's a decade gap in his discography that's wild. If you go on like Spotify, like Tool. yeah, 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 he's like the R&B version of of Tool, yeah, because they what disappeared for at least a decade, but then they came back with a big push behind them. In his case, he never came with another record. I remember thinking for years, like, when is this guy going to come with another album? Then starting, I think in 2014 or so, he started like, you know, a single here, a single there, and it's all grooving, really funky music. And I've, if you follow him on Twitter, like he posts little video clips, just him and a guitar, him and a keyboard. You, you see this guy has incredible musicianship. I would actually love to have him on. We should, I would love yeah. to talk to him. I was, I was going to say, just go find him. <laughs> Get him on. We got to find him. I want to talk to him because coming back to this record, it is really a phenomenal record. And again, it's, it's becoming a thread with every album. The songs are there. Like you could strip away the production, which is all his production. Mm-hmm. And you can hear the influences coming through. Uh, like on a song like Color of the Day, you can hear it's very reminiscent of Al Green. Uh, my favorite song on the record is uh, is Burning Bridges. I mean, that's a perfectly constructed R&B song. My favorite part of it is at the end, it has this like earth, wind, and fire kind of outro section to it. I really, I really love that tune. Uh, Take a message, which was kind of like the main single, or I think was the lead single. Um, just another dynamite track, just well written pop soul music, you know. And then you can hear on the way I feel, or the second one reminds me of like I Want You era Marvin Gaye. I mean, you hear the influences, but the thing that makes this record special is you hear that he has a unique musical personality too. He synthesizes all of it. It's not just a genre exercise. It's like he took this music, he absorbed it, he put it through his own filter, and he wrote some really great songs. And then you think he played everything on this, and it's like, it's really impressive, and it's just a shame that people like this with this level of talent, sometimes because of the business or for whatever reasons, just don't get the opportunity to keep doing it, you know? You know, part of me romanticizes it and thinks like, maybe that's just the record he had. And like, since right. then he's like, you know what? I don't really have another one of those. Uh, it's It gets said with rock and rap bands a lot that, you know, artists like that spend their whole lives writing their first record. 
and right. then they get 18 months to write the next one. And there's almost no life experience except for promoting your record between record one and record two, where you have like your whole life to think of the first one. It's kind of a, a cool story if he's like, he's like, you know what, man, that one was great. I just, I don't want to, maybe he doesn't want to make another one. We should, dude, he's got 5,000 followers. We can definitely yeah. get this guy Well, have on. you checked him out on Twitter at all? Because he's a pretty, he's I'm a pretty funny, now. irreverent yeah. dude. Like when I first went and started following him on Twitter, like he'll post these really cool soulful clips Then he'll post some weird like animated graphics and stuff. But then you'll also just see tweets from him. Like the, I think that when I first followed him, there was just a tweet that said like, I'm the chief of beef or something like that. Like weird, <laughs> like weird, like one line, <laughs> like, like check out his Twitter. Like he, he's, he seems like a guy that doesn't take it all too seriously. And then he'll, yeah. He'll post these videos of him on the keyboard or him on the guitars. A lot of times just instrumental. Like the other day I saw he posted something. It was like him doing these like really beautiful jazz licks. I mean, it's just strange to me that thinking back to this record, it's such a dynamite album in my opinion that, you know, yeah, what's the story? Because I couldn't find it online. We have to just talk to him. That's it. We, we yeah. got to do it. Just, let's, let's, let's just reach out to him. We'll, and, just, we'll just tweet at him and I'll say, hey, do you want to, we, we just talked about your album. Will you please come on? Yes, like, yes, yes. One, th one thing I've learned in my years of doing this is that you really, if you can get to the person who you want to talk to, most of the times they say yes. You know, like. Right, right. You know, yeah. if, if, if you're not doing it for any, like, all it's. He ain't going to get rich off of this and we're not going to get rich off of having him on. It's just, you know, he, it's interesting and maybe he'll see it as genuine. Maybe we can get yeah, him Yeah, I would love to talk to him because I'm just really inspired by his musicianship, what he, the songs he writes. It's really, it would just be a great musical conversation. And, and he seems like kind of a funny, irreverent kind of dude too, you know? And is he going to open up a metal factory called Remington Steel? <laughs> That's see, that's a spike question right there. You lead in with that, boom, go for the custom. <laughs> by, by the way, the show I was thinking of was Heart to Heart. Uh, oh, yeah, but that, uh. yeah. So anyway, all right. So this album, right? I I was thinking as I was listening to it, everything's starting to blend together. The R and B that I've always liked is '90s pop, '90s R and B. But 90s R&B, like, like, I didn't like Keith Sweat. I liked anything Babyface did. Mm -hmm. I liked Brian McKnight. Oh, I yeah. liked Tony Rich. They're all the same kind of R&B. So when you bring in D'Angelo, that's much different, right? It's, it's, mm -hmm. not, it's not really the same world. This album felt like it was in between the two worlds. And I think the reason it felt like that was because there was that great instrumentation, which you don't really hear on the the records that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But the songs were there, right? Like there were there were songs that I could hear. And when whenever I'm not familiar with the sound of something, it takes me a minute. So I think it was probably about the third song in is when I felt myself in the groove of the album. And mm -hmm. that's when... You know, if you give me something like this, I definitely have to listen two or three times because I almost don't even know what I'm listening for. It's not super familiar to me. One of the things I wrote down that you mentioned is he's probably got one of the best falsettos I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. and the way that he can keep it up for a while or he can slowly drift in and out of it 
which I think is really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it it's so hard to have a falsetto that isn't an annoying or seems like it's showing off to me. I thought it was really good. My favorite song on the album was I Met Your Mercy. I know my troubles just About the bad times Oh, I tried to think twice About the bad times And there was something about that song that I thought almost had sort of a gospel feel to it, too. Yeah, I can absolutely hear that. That's one of my favorites, too. Absolutely. Uh, Color of the Day was another one that I liked that felt pretty down the middle for something I would like. I also thought about like where where would this music be played? And I thought of Smoky Club, which is cool that you said jazz because I almost imagine this music being performed in a jazz club. It doesn't seem like a um, it, it's you know it's not an arena album, it's not an amphitheater album. No, I don't even think not. it's like even really a club album. It sounds like a a smaller sort of like jazz club. People are sitting down with a drink. Uh, yep. It's smoky in there. He's at a piano for part of it. That's what I imagined when I was listening to it. And then the the other thing that stuck out to me that I liked a lot that I didn't expect, and it makes it even more impressive knowing that he played all the instruments, is there's a guitar solo in mind's eye um it's pretty long and it's Mm -hmm. really good you know yeah um it's pretty impressive that he does everything on it and it's one of those solos it's not like he's playing fast it's not like he's shredding but he's playing in the groove of it and it's Mm -hmm. uh it's melodic yeah it really is he's he's got a great voice i can also imagine it reminds me of when Amos played with the uh, Preservation Hall band oh, or whatever. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I, I could yeah. imagine him playing with a, a really cool, really great, big band. Like a, yeah. a horn band kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, you know, it just, it's a conundrum to me. How does a guy, like, display this type of talent, have, like, four Grammy nominations Right. And what is not- that story? Like, how does that happen? Like, uh, you would think that even if he didn't stay on a major, he would land, you know, maybe on some kind of cool indie or something. And maybe three, four years later, there'd be a record or something. Um, it's just interesting to me. You wonder sometimes if, like, people who are that talented, uh, this guy's clearly got a very singular sort of talent that maybe the business is just. You know, it's 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 not always conducive to like nurturing people. You know, sometimes it it goes the other way and it alienates people from wanting to get their music to a bigger audience, which is kind of right. counterintuitive. But yeah, I, I think what he does is it, it, there's a lot of touchstones there. Like you're talking about his guitar playing. There's uh, moments where almost like he because he, he kind of uses that tone. He almost channels Ernie Isley a little bit from if you hear some of the Isley Brothers stuff. He you can hear he's immersed himself in those records. He's like what, studied them. What was the we had a Carl Landry Record Club album with the fucking craziest wait, what was the Funkadelic album? Um Maggot Brain. The guitar playing on that, obviously incredible, but the uh reminded me that that particular solo reminded me a little bit. Obviously not quite as rock and roll and 
harsh, I guess, as some of the playing on Mag- Maggot Brain, but it reminded me a little bit. Of yeah, that it's there. a more smoother side of that. But mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I'm a big fan of that kind of playing because you, you know there, there's guys who can play a million notes and it doesn't communicate anything, and sometimes just playing a simple three or four note melody yeah. placed properly with the right tone, the right feel, that rocks your world. You know, so, and I think he's from that school of playing, you know. Before we get to the next record, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm tweeting him right now. Remy, do it. Do it. Yo, Remy. Uh, but except I this host, is not going to air for another yeah, month. Yeah, it doesn't right? matter. Yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, positive. Do it, man. Do it. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm saying it right now. I host a music, a music podcast with Mootlu. We... Yeah, man, are, we love your music. We're talking about your album. Wait, what's the name of the record again? The Way I Feel. The Way I Feel. Mm-hmm. And how excellent it is. We would love to talk to you. It's called... Yeah, let me listen to a few of the episodes that are up already. It's Harmless. We love you. Yes. Talk soon. There we go. All right. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. There we go. We could book a guy right here on the pod. Man, that's see. This is a nice uh, snapshot for people to see how things get done. Yeah, that's how it gets. That's how it gets. And, and I gotta say, for the listeners, like you're especially good at these things. Just the because I just the nature of your work, what you do. Yeah. You know, you don't labor over things. Boom, you go for it. You go for it. And that's how you get things done, right? I mean, you, yeah. you, you, you know, running a station, doing a podcast. I mean, getting things done. <laughs> I'm not always as. Uh, I find that stuff a little more like it's I second guess myself too much sometimes, but you know, maybe you can school me and the, and the listeners on this is, this is what it reminds me of is what is my wife's asleep. It reminds me of, <laughs> why do you have to preface it with that? Well, no, no. Cause I like, I like to say it reminds me of when I was like, I was never, I would never ask girls out. Right. Like I was mm-hmm. always sort of scared. So I'm like 29, I moved to Chicago, and it was the first time that I was away from everything that I ever knew. Nobody knew anything about me, right? It was this opportunity to be an entirely new person. And it was there that I learned the worst that happens if you ask her is she will tell you no. Right. <laughs> and, and most of the time, if you're cool, they'll say yes. And right. it was like I took th- I take that. That's, that's just got to take your shot, man. Yeah. And I, that's the way to be. And I, I see how you operate and that, and you get things done that way. I guess for me, I, I don't always have that confidence or something in every, it's like, it, there is the fear of the no. Yeah. You know, and what's the worst, you know, I agree with you. Logically, I get it. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Oh, they say no. And I said, see Tommy from down to sure. I do whatever I want, whenever I want. Right. And I that's ask, why he's a ladies man. Yeah. I mean, that's why I'm like a Casanova. That's another good one. It's a good meaty hoagie word. Listener album? Yeah. yeah. Listener album. Which is off the hook. Oh, my God. I love this album so much. So Mulu and I never talk about our reaction to the music before we're on the pod. I was listening to You broke the rules, man. You broke the rules. What was it, Saturday morning? Yeah, well, because before we started started the pod, I remember at one point I started getting into whole – I don't know, like like essay in tweet about one of the records. You told me don't do the pod before the pod, and I like that. That's that's yeah. the way to be. But you broke the rules this time. So we have all of these suggestions, <laughs> and this comes from he left 
an Apple review, Tribe Called Cats. That's what mm-hmm. his, his Apple name was. And the name of the album is Lyrics Born. And then the name of the, the artist is Lyrics Born. And the album is Quite a Life. I got rings on every finger. My tastes are eclectic. And admittedly, I'm dressed kind of vintage pimpishly. But what does that have to do with my inner being? True story. Hey, at least we ain't boring. There is absolutely no glory in that category. And my goals is modest. All I ever wanted was to be the funkiest rapper alive, which I've accomplished. We were born to soar, but the choice is yours. Fly with me above the clouds or admire me from the Now, ground. we have a list of probably 40 or 50 records at this point. And really, most of them I don't know. Uh, I didn't want to pick one that I did know. So I just sort of like, you know, close my eyes, point, and this. And so I had no expectation. And I put it on Saturday morning. My eyes opened up and I was like, the fuck is this, man? And that's when I had a text. And I think I just said something like, yo, this Lyrics Born record. No, I know. I had the same reaction and I knew exactly what you meant. I mean, this thing... It just grabs you out of the gate, like that first Yo. that first song, Chocolate Cake. It's like it's like you're it's like a Cool in the Gang kind of song or something. Yeah, like. It just, man, it, this is a great album. Just a great album. It's so good. All right, so Lyrics Born, here's the background. He's from Tokyo, Japanese rapper. Grew up in Berkeley in California. Tom Shimura is his name. He originally is a rapper, goes by the name Asia Born, and then decides that he doesn't want his whole identity to be about the fact that he's Asian. Puts out his first solo record in 2003. He's got five solo records. Quite a Life comes out in 2018. He's also got a couple of other albums, a duo called Latrix with him and a rapper called Latrif the Truth Seeker. Another interesting fact with Latrix, DJ Shadow used to be part of that Mm. crew. Uh, and he has a couple of songs with DJ Shadow, a couple of singles with DJ Shadow. Who is a musical genius. A genius, right. So this, you put this album on. So that's the background on this dude. You put this <laughs> album on. And like you said, it comes off with this song, Chocolate Cake. He's a rapper. This is, this is hip hop. But full band, mm-hmm. like you said, sounds, the music sounds like Cool and the Gang. I put the hook as like a, an old school funk R&B band. That's right. And that, but he's rapping. It sort of reminded me of Digital Underground. Like, yeah. like that, that sort of flow. Similar and, vocal timbre and uh, just at, concise and just, the, just such a good pocket to the way he delivers his lines. Totally. And the other thing is that throughout the album, he raps different in different, this is, is he's not like a one style rapper either. Then there's another song called Don't Quit Your Daydream. The horns. The hand claps, 
<laughs> and in this one, he's rapping like fast. And then there's, it's all over the place. Then there's another song called uh, When I Get My Check. Which sounds like, I wouldn't say DJ Premier, but it sounds like an, a, a late 80s hip hop beat. And he almost sounds like he's rapping like Kumo D or something. And remind me of like the collaborations that Tribe and Leaders in the New School would do. Yes. Because uh, a combination on that one uh, with Gift of Gab and Charlie Tuna, um, it's just, you know what? It, it's just like uh, Dwick, the song with uh, Nice and Smooth and uh, mm-hmm. Gangstar, which is like, Top five, if not top top three, hip hop collabo. It gives you that same feeling when you Gangstar, hear that. Or- Gangstar is a good a good reference point mm-hmm. for this too. You know, you you liking leaders the new school. Time was going to be one of the albums that I suggested. Ah. We might have to do it just to do it, even if you know it anyway. Well, um, I was thinking low end theory, next uh, next level. I mean, that, we're going to have to. We got to do that because you know you can't have a music podcast and not do that one. We could do, uh, honestly, we could do theme pods at some point, you know? Um, yeah. The, he covers James Brown on it, A Man's Genius. World. Yeah. Well, that song is amazing. Okay, there's so many levels to this record. Yeah, go that ahead. That song is amazing because, one, he can really sing. Yep. Good singer, it was He's, stunning. Yeah, I mean he that's that's a classic James Brown tune, and he delivers on it vocally. But the best part of it to me is, you know, the lyrical sentiment of that song is a bit dated. Yeah, he takes it and he turns it on its head, and he makes it a song about the importance of gender equality. Yeah, you and, know, and, and, and that's he puts genius. A question right mark. There. By the way, even the title of the song right. isn't right. a man's world. Period. It's a man's world. Question mark. Yeah. Know? So, 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 see, that is brilliant to me, because when you take a song and you cover it, there are a lot of different ways to make it your own. He's bringing something fresh to it lyrically, but he's also totally flipping the meaning of it in a way, making a commentary on what it was, and showing that I can just turn this song around and make it about something much more righteous and much more vital and much more twenty. 20, or actually we should say 2018 is when it came out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's what I love about this album too, is, okay, there are tunes that are like the party music, like Chocolate Cake. There are songs that are very personal and where he, you know, he really brings you in. There are songs that are social commentary, like this one. And um, probably my favorite song was Same But Different. I don't know mm-hmm. if that one, um, you know, that's a song that's speaking on, you know, it's a celebration of diversity and empathy, you know, and uh, I just, man, this, he, he hits so many, 
so many different areas musically and lyrically, and yet it's the record's only what forty minutes, or it's not. It's concise. It's not like it goes on and on. Yeah, it it uh, it powers through it. Like there's there's not. I don't even. There's like no breather in it. But mm. the, the song I like best was uh, "Is It Worth It," but mm-hmm. there's we we've up until this point, my favorite album listener album we've done has been uh, Atlanta uh, Millionaires Club. Yeah, Faye uh, Webster. Faye Webster. Faye Webster. Yep, I love that one. But this one's a banger. Like I'm. Yeah. I, this I, this I, takes I, the cake so far. This, yeah. This is, so far, so far. I, I, I don't know if you've done it, but the next I didn't want to do it before we talked about it, but I'm going to go back and listen. I feel like I, I, I got to take in the guy's whole catalog now. Me too. Absolutely. And see how he got here. Well, this is one of those moments where we talked about the spirit of this podcast and what we're trying to do. And, you know, that's the joy of music. Like, I'd heard a lyric born's, Lyrics Born I think I'd heard him guest on a few other tracks and was always impressed, but I'd never checked out one of his records. And this blew my mind. And this is one of those moments, which kind of, which happened to me with Silverchair as well, where it's like, holy shit. Okay, now I got to listen to every record. I'm going to go back. I'm going to listen to the stuff he did with Latif, the truth speaker. Uh, there's a Quantum uh, Projects album that I think yeah. is like with him and um, Gift to Gabin. He's very much of a scene too. I like that. Like you, you feel that he's got Charlie Tune on there and he's got, Gift of Gab and that Bay Area hip hop. Um, there's a certain style and a certain vibe that brings, and he's got some of that too. Uh, but man, this is just—I would love to see him live because I, uh, you know, I read that he tours a lot. You know, hopefully, whenever that happens again. Yeah, I mean, this with a full band—can you imagine? Oh this, man, oh this. man, he, and he has Galactic, I think, on one of these tracks. Like, I'd like to see him with Galactic. That would be amazing. This, what a, what a shocker. <laughs> uh, and I think I think the cover of the album isn't it him walking a bunch of dogs. Um, hold yeah, on. and he's got kind of a he's got like a nice fur coat, I think. And uh, yeah, hold on, I want to look at it. Lyrics born, quite alive, <laughs> walking a bunch of dogs near the Golden Gate Bridge. He's got five dogs, bro. He's walking five dogs wearing a fur coat <laughs> next to the Golden Gate Bridge. I love it, man. I this, love it. That dude's a boss. I got to find a T-shirt of that album cover. Great record. So. Uh, tribe called cats thank you for that suggestion phenomenal man that's that's definitely hands down my favorite so far of the listener what if you've got a uh got a record you'd like to suggest as i mentioned leave it in the apple podcast reviews or go to uh carlandryrecordclub.com and uh i think that's all we got right until next time yes indeed yes indeed what am i oh i don't i don't remember what my thing is you need (laughs) to I love that we screw this up every single time. Every time. Yeah, what are well, you doing, Spike? You, you know, you're supposed to set me up, man, like right. an alley-oop dunk. All right. Uh, alley-oop. So, well, what am I even – was it a thing that I said I was going to say? I forget. Uh, basically, you do the – you just kind of do the – just like you do the pre-show intro, yeah. you kind of do a post-show. Uh, well, why don't I just go – we figure this out. Like, yeah, here's going to be the cue. I'm going to go, that's it for us. Perfect. Okay. All right. All right. All right. That's it for us. Stay free, my goose. Stay free, my goose.